0: Alright, well I can tell by looking at some of you that you have a bad case of March Madness. I get a little giddy this time of year and my wife's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I got March Madness. I don't know what it is. But it's good to be in church and to think about issues that are more important than how my bracket is doing which after Villanova's loss yesterday is not very well, just so you know. Uh, We are continuing on in our series called The New You, which is based on a letter in the New Testament called Romans. It was a letter written by a guy named Paul to the church in Rome. And specifically, we've been looking at chapters 6 through 8. Today we've come to what, for me personally, is, I think, one of the best verses in the entire Bible. It is a verse that I go back to again and again because I need to be reminded that no matter what happens in my life, God can work it for my good. When I was a youth pastor, I used to lead worship. Now, that was over 10 years ago, so don't think I'm gonna get up and start leading us in a song anytime soon. The truth of the matter is, I can play the guitar a little bit, but I cannot sing to save my life. Now, you might be wondering, well, how can you lead worship if you can't sing? And I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. For example, one time my two best singers didn't show up and so I just grabbed two of my adult small group leaders and I said, hey, can either of you guys sing? And they're both like, oh yeah, totally. I said, great, I need someone to come up and lead worship with me tonight. And so we get up there, no rehearsal, no run through, no nothing, and the first song is Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. If you attended church in the 90s or in the early 2000s, you'd have remembered this song. So I start in and the first line says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And I look over to the two other singers like, all right, you're going to jump in with me, right? And this singer over here goes, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And this one over here goes, open the eyes of my heart. It sounded like a combination between a wolf on its deathbed and a country western singer. That's how bad it was. Some of you are like, oh, don't make fun of country. Anytime I make fun of country or NASCAR, I always get an email, so I just, I'm prepared, all right? Those are two sensitive groups. But it was so bad that I just looked at the students and I said, "Uh, all right, I'm gonna pray and then you're dismissed. Two minutes into the service, it was the shortest church service in history. Some of the students are like, I love this church. They can go home and tell their parents, I went to church, (laughs) yeah, it's two minutes long. Other kids, they didn't like it so much. So we got done with this, and I went out into the hallway to kind of clear my thoughts, because I was sort of embarrassed about what had just happened, and I almost stumbled on a 17-year-old girl who was sobbing in the hallway, sitting down in the hallway, not trying to hold back tears or sniffling or anything like that. She was sobbing. And so I got down on her level, and I said, I am so sorry. I said, I can't sing very well. And those two told me they could sing, but they lied to me, those liars, I said, I just had to cut it short. I don't know what you want me to do. And she said, no. It was the lyrics of that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. She said, when you sang that, I just felt like God was speaking right to me. I said, I don't think that was God. (laughs) That might have been Satan or something like that, but I don't think that was God. She said, no, no. I've been closing my heart off to God lately, and I can feel it. And I just know I need to open my heart up to him. How do I do that? And I led her in a prayer right there in the middle of the hallway to put her faith in Christ for the very first time. And I learned two things that night. First of all, I learned that God doesn't need me. He wants to use me, but he doesn't need me. And the second thing I learned is that God can take something that is so bad and he can turn it around into something that is so good. Now, I think we all want to believe that's true, specifically about the things that happen in our own lives. I mean, if you're going through a struggle or some pain in life right now, you would love to believe that God can work that for your good, but that raises some difficult questions, doesn't it? For example, a few months ago, I got an email from a couple, and they had two little girls. They had always hoped for a little boy, and finally they had a little boy. But right away, they could tell that something wasn't right with their son, Austin, He was born with birthmarks over 60% of his body. He started having seizures when he was 12 days old. And he was never able to eat food on his own or hold up his head. Austin ended up dying at the age of one. And here's this couple. And they're going, why God? I mean, we did everything right. We loved you. We tried to do everything that you would have wanted us to do. How could this happen? And it was really a crisis of faith for them. They wondered, how could it possibly be that God could bring good out of something like that? And maybe you've wondered that question before. I mean, what do you say to God when the girlfriend that you thought was the one breaks up with you? Or when your spouse leaves you? Or what happens when the doctor gives you some really bad news, even though you've been exercising and eating healthy and doing all of the right things? Some people live with daily anxiety and depression. I mean, it's just daily thoughts, daily struggles, and it's really hard at first to see how God could use something like that for good in a person's life. For others of us, it's not so much the big events that cause us to ask this question. It's oftentimes the small inconveniences of life. For example, a few weeks ago, I was speaking here at Eagle Brook, and on Sunday mornings, I have to get here at 7.45. But I like to get in a little early so I can pray and kind of just get my heart right with God, And so at 7 o'clock, I pulled in, grabbed my lunch bag, grabbed my bag that had my shoes in it, and then I realized I didn't have my work bag, which has my iPad and everything I need to speak. And so I had to drive 20 minutes home to get the work bag, 20 minutes back here to church, and the whole rest of the morning, I felt five minutes behind. I was just flustered. And I'm going, why God? Why did I have to forget my bag at home? I mean, I was going to pray and spend time with you. Now, of course, God is probably going, I didn't forget the bag. Why are you blaming me for this? But have you ever had times in your life where you had plans? I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to have this number of kids. We're going to live in this house or this neighborhood. I'm going to have this job. And those plans just weren't happening. And you start to get a little frustrated about that. All this leads to the verse that I want to read to you today. And as I mentioned, to me personally, this is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. And as I read this, I want you to think with me, do I believe that that's true? Do I believe God when he says that? And do I believe it so much so that I would be willing to live my life as if it's true? Here's the verse, Romans eight twenty-eight. it says this. And we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul begins by saying, we know. Not we hope, not we think, not we wish. He says, we know. In fact, Paul uses this phrase, we know, 13 times in the book of Romans alone. Speaks to a sense of certainty. He says, we know. Here's my question for you. Do you know? Do you know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Because here's what I found. I found that some people would say, you know, I vaguely believe that that's true. I mean, I kind of have this vague sense that, you know, everything's going to work its way out in the end. That's what some would say. Others would say, you know, I'm not so sure that that's true. And then there are some people who would go, I know And usually those are the ones who have lived it. I mentioned this couple whose one-year-old son, Austin, had a rare genetic heart disease and ended up dying from this. And I emailed them to see, you know, would you believe that this is true, that God works all things for the good of those who love him? And the mom responded back this way. She said, if you would have asked me this question the day our son was born, I would have said no. I loved God, and look at what happened. But today, two years later, I would tell you that our family loves deeper, tries harder, and is more fearless in our faith. We don't take for granted how short our time on earth is. We wouldn't have had that without our son. And then she finished by saying this, so yes, I know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. She says, I know Not I hope, not I wish, not wouldn't it be great if that were actually true. She says, I know. But how does she know? It's because she's been through it. And God has proven himself faithful. Paul goes on and he says this, we know that in all things, now I know we don't normally repeat words out loud in this church, but in just a moment, I'm gonna have to say these two words, all things out loud together. And if you're at our Coon Rapids campus, this is your last weekend at Coon Rapids. You're going to Anoka next weekend. So you just gotta blow the roof off and say this so loud, all right? So here we go, out loud together, on three. One, two, three. All things. All things. Not some things, not most things, not almost everything, but not quite. He says, all things. Here's what's included in all things. Divorce. Breakups. Miscarriages, failing in school, getting cut from a team, having conflict with someone in your life that you care about, cancer, deafness, blindness, being in a wheelchair. All things means all things. Now, notice that it doesn't say that God causes all things. In fact, in the book of James in the New Testament, it says that God isn't the author of evil. So he's not necessarily causing the bad things to happen, but God can work good from them. In fact, there's not one thing in your life right now that God cannot work for your good. Now, some of us hear that and we think, maybe. You know, you just don't know my situation. I've I've been dealing with this one thing for like two or three years now. And I'll just be honest, I don't see any good that's come from that. And I understand that. When you're in the situation, it's really hard to see the good. But I have two questions that I want to ask you. And the first question is this. Do you love Jesus Christ? Because look again at the verse. This isn't a blanket statement that everything's going to work out in the end. It's not a blanket statement that says, you know, everything that happens to you is just going to make you stronger. It doesn't say that. He says, we know that God works, that in all things, God works for the good of who? He says, for those who? who love him. Not that God's going to work everything for everyone at all times. It's a specific promise for those who love Christ. So my question to you is, do you love Jesus Christ? And I know we all want to instantly answer yes to that, but I would actually ask you to think about that question. And the second question is this, how do you know? How do you know that God's not going to work this for your good? I mean, it might not make sense right now, And in the fog of tragedy, it's really difficult to see how God could work it for your good. But what about two or three years from now? What if God wants to use this situation to develop in you courage and determination and empathy for other people that you otherwise could not get? In Romans chapter 5, Paul says it this way. He says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. That's pretty countercultural because most people don't rejoice when that happens, He says, for we know, there's that phrase again, we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to endure. And then he says, and endurance develops strength of character, and strength of character develops an expectation of salvation. We all want endurance. We all want strength of character. But how do you get endurance if there's nothing to endure? And how do you get strength of character if there's not some adversity in your life? And how do you get a hope of heaven if earth is perfect? Well, you don't. You only get those things through the problems and the trials of life. Paul goes on to say, We know that in all things God works for the good. What's your definition of good? See, part of the problem is we tend to define that word differently than God does. Our definition revolves around the temporary or the immediate but it doesn't say that God's going to work out everything for your comfort. It doesn't say he's going to work out everything for your pleasure or your net worth. But he does say, this will be for your good. And then Paul concludes by saying this. He says, who have been called according to his purpose. Now there's a lot I could say about this phrase. But first of all, God has called you. You didn't call God. God took the initiative. He called you. He is drawing you to himself. If you came to church today and you're like, man, I don't even know why I came to church, I'm telling you, it's that God is drawing you, he's calling you, he loves you and wants a relationship with you. And then he says, you've been called according to his purpose. And this is where things get interesting to me. Because oftentimes you'll hear people say, everything happens for a reason. Something bad's happening in their life or another person's life and they'll say, well, everything happens for a reason. And I don't have necessarily anything against that phrase but see if you would agree with me that this is true. There's a difference between reason and purpose. I saw Pastor Kyle Eidelman say this recently in a message, and it really got me thinking. A reason tries to make sense of a specific event in your life. Purpose sees the big picture. Romans 8.28 never says that everything happens for a reason, but it does say that God has a purpose. And that frees me. It frees me to not have to know the why. I don't have to know why every event took place in my life and then try to attach it to some cosmic reason. In fact, as Pastor Craig Rochelle says, you don't have to understand the why to trust God with the what. All of us want to know why at times, right? Something happens in our life and we go, why God? Why do I have to keep dealing with this? I've prayed about this. I've asked you to take this away. Why is this still happening to me? Why did I have to go through that, God? I was so young when that happened. How could that have happened to me at that age? We want to know why. You know what's frustrating? God doesn't usually answer that question, does he? I mean, it'd be great if God would just pull us aside and go, you're going to lose this job, but look at the job you're going to get a year from now. We'd go, oh, that's great. Or this person's going to break up with you, but look at who you're going to meet three years from now. We'd be like, whoa, that's perfect. God doesn't usually do that. Why? I think part of the reason is we wouldn't understand. In Isaiah 55, God is speaking to his people, and he says these words. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. At the Como Zoo, they have this ant colony. I don't know if you've seen this before, but you can watch these ants through these clear tubes as they take leaves to their homes and things like that. And I don't know what, if anything, those ants are thinking, but here's what they're not thinking. They're not looking back at me through the clear tube and going, you got a steering problem, pal? Why don't you go work instead of standing around watching us work all day long? They're not saying that. They're not looking at me in my twins' hat and going, Why does he wear a Minnesota Twins baseball hat? I think the twins are going to struggle this year. It's their starting pitching. That's the problem. They're not thinking that way. Why? Because my thoughts are higher than their thoughts and my ways are beyond their ways. Now, get this the gap between me and an ant is less than the gap between me and God. And if that's true, doesn't it make sense that there are going to be times when I'm not going to understand why God is allowing something to happen in my life? It's because his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are beyond my ways. In fact, God never promises us understanding. He promises us a peace that goes beyond our understanding. This is what some of you need today. You don't need to know why. Even if you knew why an event happened in your life, it wouldn't calm your anxieties, it wouldn't take away your pain. You need a peace that goes beyond your mental capabilities. You need to be able to walk out of church today or get done watching this message online. And you need to be able to say, you know what? My circumstances haven't changed. I'm still struggling with this, I'm still in pain, and I still don't even know why it's happening. But strangely, I'm at peace. It's because I know, I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's my prayer for you today, that you would have that kind of peace, but I believe it starts with two declarations. And the first declaration is this, I believe that God will get it right. What if all of us declare this today? I just believe that God is going to get it right. See, each of us are looking for a change in our circumstances, but really what we need is a change in our perspective. kind of reminds me of the college student who wrote home to her parents during her sophomore year of college. She said this. She said, Dear Mom and Dad, I know this is really going to disappoint you, but I met a guy. He's 15 years older than I am. We just eloped. I'm two months pregnant, and I'm dropping out of school. I'll contact you at some point in the future. P.S., just kidding, but I did flunk one class and I need 200 bucks. Please keep this in perspective. <laughs> Smart kid. <laughs> you she's going, going to be leading something someday. But don't you see? It's not your circumstances that cause you to lose hope. It's actually your perspective on those circumstances. Years ago, I saw a movie called The Hiding Place. It documents the life of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom and her family. They hid Jews from the Nazis during the Nazis' invasion of the Netherlands. Until one day, the Nazis discovered their secret room, and Corrie and her whole family were arrested. Corrie's father, Casper Ten Boom, was 84 years old at the time. And so the Nazis told him that if he would promise to stop trying to save the Jews, they would grant him asylum. He refused. He was sent to a prison where 10 days later, he died. Corey was sent to a concentration camp where she was beaten and tortured and mistreated. And when she finally got out of this concentration camp, you would think that she would go around the world telling people, this isn't true. God's not going to get it right, and he doesn't work all things for the good of those who love him. Instead, Corey went around the country and around the world telling audiences about the love of Jesus Christ and how God gave her a peace that went beyond her understanding. In fact, as Corey would oftentimes speak, she would be doing some cross stitching while she would speak, which is very weird. You know, if you're in the audience, you're going, well, What is she doing up there? And then towards the end of the message, she would grab the cross stitch. And she would kind of hold it up to her audience, and she would show the backside, which has all these threads and kind of jumbled together, and and she would say, this is how we see our lives. And then she would flip it around, and she would say, this is how God sees our lives. And one day, we will have the privilege of seeing things from God's perspective. Until then, we trust Romans 8.28. I heard about Corey Ten Boom's story in a book by an author named Mark Batterson. Mark Batterson is a pastor. And at the age of five, he put his faith in Jesus Christ after he watched the movie The Hiding Place. Here's what he had to say about that. He said, I feel bad for what Corey Ten Boom had to endure. But I'm the beneficiary of her unanswerable questions and unexplainable experiences. Her suffering led to my salvation. Friends, there is no painless existence. Not everything in our lives are going to make sense, but I want to assure you today that God is going to get it right. You may have plans, but God has a purpose. When I was in 2005, I applied for three different jobs in ministry. I didn't get any of them. I was very discouraged until a few years later, I applied for this job at Eagle Brook Church, a job that I didn't even really qualify for at the time, and I ended up getting it. I had plans, but God had a purpose, and God knew best. In high school, my girlfriend broke up with me. I cried myself to sleep that night, and I prayed to a God that at that time, I didn't even know. Pray that somehow we could get back together, and God chose not to answer that prayer. So a few months later, I asked out a different girl named Sarah McAlpin, and today her last name is Strand. I had plans. God had a purpose, and let me tell you, God knew best. When Sarah and I were first married, we had a house that we loved. We put an offer on it, but it just fell through, and we were so disappointed, but then we put an offer on a different house, and we moved in next to this couple that was in their early 20s. They were far from God. We ended up becoming very good friends with them, helping lead them to faith in Christ. And this day, they are still walking with God. We had plans, but God had a purpose, and God knew best. In 2005, we opened up this Lionel Lakes campus. And we thought, you know what, we're not sure what we're going to do with our White Bear Lake campus. Maybe we'll just use that for student ministries. But somehow, Lionel Lakes filled up right away. And so we thought, well, let's, let's reopen White Bear and it can be like a giant overflow room, which at the time was kind of unheard of. We thought, who's going to watch the message on a video? But this weekend, 3,500 people will gather at our White Bear Lake campus, not to mention that thousands others at Woodbury and Coon Rapids and Blaine and Spring Lake Park, and they will watch this message in real time via satellite, using technology that didn't even exist back then. We had plans, but God had a purpose, and God knew best. Friends, the same is true for your life. You may have plans, but God has a purpose, and God knows best. You need to teach this to your kids. I tell my kids all the time you know, you may have plans to make that team, or to make that shot, or, you know, to go to that school, or have those friends, or whatever it might be, but God has a purpose. And you just need to trust that God knows best. I hope each of you will declare that today. Second declaration that each of us needs to make is this. I believe that my future glory is greater than my present pain. Romans 8.28 is a popular verse in the Bible, so oftentimes people pull it out of context. And what I mean by that is they don't read the verses before it or the verses after it. But there's a reason why Paul says that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And he starts getting at it in verse 18. Look at what he says. He says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will give us later. He doesn't promise to take your suffering away immediately. He doesn't even promise to do it in this lifetime. But he does say that your present suffering is nothing compared to your future glory. I think part of our reason for not believing that that's true is because of what a warped view we have of heaven. I mean, if you ask the average person on the street, what's heaven like? They'll start describing clouds and harps and things like that. But I like how author Levi Lusco describes it in his book, Through the Eyes of a Lion. He says, Heaven is like earth, only better, untainted by sin and disease, unspoiled by evil. He says, Heaven is full of laughter and play eating and drinking, working and exploring, all infused and energized by the presence of God and pulsating with holy wonder. That's heaven. Heaven is not harps and clouds. Heaven is joy and peace. And hopefully a little basketball sprinkled in as well. Which is why Paul is able to say, God's going to work all things for the good of those who love him. Heaven was his hope. I'm told that in the Air Force survival training course, they have this thing called the rules of three. And they will tell the Air Force cadets, they'll say, you know, you can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go three hours without shelter in extreme conditions, and you can go three minutes without air. But then they will add, you cannot go three seconds without hope. What is hope? Hope is at the very basic level, the belief that something good is going to happen. It's being able to say, I know that God is going to work all things for the good of those who love him. Several weeks ago, we had our baptism service here at Eagle Brook, and if you were here, it was a memorable weekend. We had 983 people who were baptized, and just some incredible stories. We had one couple at our Blaine campus who attended church for the first time. They were in their 30s, not first time at our church, first time at any church. And God must have touched their life because they put their faith in Christ and were baptized. They now live with the promise that God can work all things for their good. One of the moments that was the most inspirational to me personally happened by chance. It was in the back room at Lionel and we have this broadcast center that has our different campuses on the monitors and I got locked in on the Blaine campus. And here's a picture of what I saw. This girl's name is Hannah Beese. I think I'm saying her last name correctly. And she's 27 years old and has Down syndrome. And as I watched her, I thought, I wonder what brought her to be baptized today. And then when I saw her come up out of the water, and I saw the smile and the joy on her face, I couldn't help but think, but our present sufferings, Are nothing compared to the glory that is to come. One of our staff members reached out to Hannah's father, and he said, You know, we didn't know that Hannah had Down syndrome when she was born. In fact, we weren't sure that she was going to make it out of the delivery room. She had a rare heart condition that required surgery. But he said, This girl loves God. She's actually visiting our church. They live way up north, and she wanted to see a relative get baptized. And so, on the spot, spontaneously, she said, I'm going to get baptized too. And she has portions of the Bible memorized, like the Lord's Prayer. She'll go to an adult Bible study, and if one of the old ladies says something about the Bible that isn't true, she'll correct them on that. (laughs) And you can tell as you listen to her dad that Hannah brings a lot of joy to this world. But he said, you know, it's been really hard, and God is the one who got us through it. He said, we never would have gotten through this without God. And then he said, yes, I believe that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And are called according to his purpose. You know, I believe that you'll see Hannah in heaven one day. I'm sure that you'll recognize her by the smile and the joy on her face. But Hannah will have a brand new body. We all will. Because we will be free from the curse of sin and Adam and Eve. In fact, look at what Paul writes in verse 20. This is a little bit more context for you. He says, Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. And then he says, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Childbirth is painful. I ought to know. Some of you snicker, but can I tell you my childbirth story for just a moment? My wife kept asking me to get up and get her little chips of ice and water. I had to get up like 10 times. And the last time I got up, I got up a little too quickly, and I think I might have wrenched my back. And I was thinking, oh, man, I'm going to feel that in the morning. And then the nurse asked me if I would massage her hand, and so I took it seriously, and I got in there with my thumbs, and I mean, my thumbs were throbbing. It's like I played video games for several hours. It was just like really, really painful. And so when Paul talks about the pain of childbirth, I am like, I can totally relate. (laughs) But what happens after the pain of childbirth? Well, you get a child, right? And the glory of that child far outweighs the pain of that birth. If you're a mom, just remember that moment when your little boy or girl was put into your arms for the first time. If you're a dad, remember seeing that moment, or maybe you've seen it on a picture or in someone else's life. When you witness that moment, you don't go, oh, childbirth is painful. Instead, you go, oh, how glorious is that child. But when you're in the pain, it's hard to see that. In fact, I have a little experiment for those of you who have a wife- who is pregnant, soon to be in labor, I have a little experiment that I'd like you to do for me. When your wife is at the peak of her pain, so I mean, she's just trying to grab anything within reach and she's just, ah, I want you to quote Romans 8.18 to her. (laughs) And I just want you to tell her, honey, our present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that is to come. (laughs) And then I want you just to remind her that Her future glory is greater than her present pain. And then you better duck, because she's going (laughs) to chuck something right at your head, right? Because when you're in the pain, that's all that you can think about. And that's where some of us find ourselves today. You're just in the middle of the pain. And you're in the middle of the struggle. And it's all you can really think about. But I believe that the hope of God says, don't just think about the pain, don't just think about the struggle, think about the future glory that is to come. Think about what God has waiting for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's a little homework for you this week. I want you to think about the thing in your life that you just go, why God? Why am I dealing with this? What are you trying to teach me from this? Why is this happening to me? And then I want you to talk to another person or just write down yourself all of the ways that God might be using that for good in your life. You don't know what's happening. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are beyond your ways. But just write down all the ways that, you know, maybe God's trying to teach me this or maybe God's developing this in me or maybe God's gonna use this in this way. Write those down. And then you know You know, you believe by faith in Christ that God will work all things, not some things, not most things, all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's stand as we close in prayer together at all of our campuses. God, I thank you for this promise. It's one of the most powerful promises in the Bible that a person who follows you and loves you and trusts in you can live with this peace that says, you know what, no matter what's happening in my life, you're going to work it for my good. God, I want that peace and assurance for every single person in church today. Lord, I pray that as you're drawing them to yourself, as you're calling them, Lord, may they know that you have a purpose for their life. May they know that you deeply love them and care about them. And as they begin to open up their heart to you, God, I pray that they would begin to experience your peace that goes beyond our understanding and that it would be that peace that could get them through any circumstance or problem or trial in their life. God, right now as a church, we declare that we know it's not we hope or, or, or wish. It's we know, God, that in all things you will work for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. May we live by that promise this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything at all, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.